Praise God. It's uh, good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen? Amen. I was telling Ricky when I get here in the morning, I said no matter how, nine, nine out of ten times, no matter how chaotic my day is, usually when I come into the house of God, there's a certain measure of peace that comes over my soul. And though even during the week and during the various days, Satan may buffet, still to be among God's people is a joy and a blessing. And to offer up the praises of the Lord and to open the word of God is even a greater joy and a greater blessing. So I pray that the Lord speaks to your heart this morning. This morning I'm going to be preaching from the text of Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Verse 18, we're taking a break in James right now, and uh, just really felt that this was the word that God had for the church this week. And I want to begin with this. Uh, There was a gentleman, he was an American pastor, he was a preacher, he was an author, he was an attorney, his name was Ian Bounds, Ian Bounds. And he lived from 1835 to 1913, he's probably most famous for his books on prayer. It's a rather interesting thing because all of his books were published after he had passed away and after he had died. And he's probably the most significant author on the whole issue of prayer in the post-Puritan era. And the writings of E.M. Bounds have had a profound effect on my life and they've changed my prayer life quite significantly. But I want to begin with this quote from E.M. Bounds, and I want you to listen to these words. He says, Nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. It is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. Christian people are prayerful. Worldly-minded are prayerless. Christians call on God worldlings ignore God and call not on his name. Prayer is the expression of a relation to God and a yearning for divine communion. And we should stop and consider these words of E.M. Bounds, especially when he says that prayer is the mark and the test of a believer in Christ. And if we were to measure our faith by our prayer time, by our commitment to prayer? What would it tell us about our faith? How much do we desire that sweet communion, that sweet intimacy with Christ, with the Father, in the presence of the Holy Spirit? How much do we desire the fullness of God's presence and being alone in prayer? It is through prayer that the believer experiences a foretaste of heaven. When you are lost in prayer, when you are before the throne of God, a Christian begins to experience what his eternal destiny is going to be like. And we get a mere glimpse, a mere glimpse. It is through prayer that a believer has a living and a dynamic relationship with the living God. That God isn't a singular thought. That we walk and move and live 
as Paul says, and have our being in him. It is through prayer that a believer is strengthened, that a believer is invigorated. It is through prayer that we overcome demonic oppression and demonic forces. It is through prayer that the believer can move mountains of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And by the way, fear, uncertainty, and doubt has probably been one of the most powerful elements that the enemy is moving against God's people today. It is through prayer that believers can experience the presence of God. I don't know if you've had that experience. It's the greatest thing ever, being alone with the Lord when the Lord shows up, when the presence of God is around you, when your thoughts are focused and centered and completely on Him. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in prayer as you're pouring yourself out and you realize that you are in the presence of God and all you can do, it's amazing, you shut up, but all you can do is bless God, praise God, weep before God. You're not going to experience that if you're not a praying believer. Paul tells us that we are to pray at all times. As a matter of fact, as we look at our text today, and we'll, we'll go through the text in just a moment, in our text in Ephesians 16, uh, uh, 6, 18, Paul tells us that we are to use all prayer, all petition, supplication, all por- uh, perse- uh, perseverance, and pray all for the saints. And we're going to take a look at that. Four times he uses that word all. And it's rather significant. You know, Ephesians 6.18 comes at the end of Ephesians 10 through 17, right? Duh. But what is Ephesians 6 through 10 through 17? What does it tell us? It's all about the armor of God. It's all about arming up. It tells us how to defeat the enemy. And in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, you may have heard a lot of sermons about the armor of God, about the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and to gird our loins with the belt of truth and shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel and pick up the shield of faith and also the sword of the Spirit. And Paul is telling that to the believer for two reasons. Number one, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and principalities and forces of darkness. Paul is telling the believer, hey, get ready to rumble. Get ready to go to battle. And here are the weaponry and the armament that I have equipped you to do battle with. And it's been noted that a lot of it is defensive, right? You wear a breastplate and you have a shield and you have a helmet. But it's defensive for a reason. It's defensive because the soldier of God is attacking. Because he has given them the shield of faith, which Paul says extinguishes the fiery missiles. But he's given us the sword of the Spirit to attack which is the word of God. 
And then at the end, at the end of that passage, Paul tells us here in Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer, petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, with this in view, and be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You see, he has equipped us with defensive weaponry, but he has equipped us with offensive weaponry, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayer. The Word of God and prayer, the preeminent offensive weapons of the believer. Now, what kind of soldier would go into the battle neglecting his rifle, neglecting his ammunition, neglecting all his offensive weaponry. What good can he do when the enemy starts firing at him? What is he going to do? Wrestle them to the ground? The same is for the person who neglects prayer. Let me make a simple premise today because this is important. It is through prayer that we come to know God. And what do I mean by that? It is through prayer that we experience His attributes. It's in prayer when we experience God's holiness. It's in prayer when we experience God's sovereignty. You're crushed in a, in a life circumstance. You're crushed in a situation. You don't know what to do. What do you do? You lift up your voice unto the God and to the God of heaven. And all of a sudden, God's sovereignty and God's omnipotence quickens your heart. It is in prayer that you could be at your lowest low. And the Spirit of God will bring a healing balm to your soul and give you the strength to get up and face another day. It is in prayer that you pray for the church. It is in prayer that you pray for a move of God and the Spirit of God to come upon you in power and authority and in might. And you get up from that place of prayer with power and authority and might. It is in prayer where you confess your sins as the word of God says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's there as we confess our sins, as we repent from our sins, that we find that refreshment of forgiveness that comes from the Lord when we experience the grace of God. Have you been there? I've been there. I've been there. Have you been to that place where you realize you sinned and you did something wrong and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that sin and you bring it before the Father and you confess it before the Father in the name of Jesus Christ according to the word of Jesus Christ and when you get up from prayer, you feel the forgiveness of God. Prayer is the very air 
that the believer breathes. Let me share something. Without it, you will not know God. Without it, it's possible to know about God, but you will not know God. So many in my life I have met in the, in the church that would say that they're Christians and I'm a Christian and I accepted this and they could, they could utter to you every word of doctrine and they can argue with the best of them about doctrine and why this is right and that's wrong and all the other different things. And many of the things that they are going to say, some of whom everything they say is rock solid, but they don't know God because they don't experience God. And it's my heart's desire for this church. It's my heart's desire through the preaching that I do. It is my heart's desire for me that this church, myself, that we would know God. So let's look at our text this morning and let's see what the Apostle Paul is talking. Again, we are in Ephesians 6. Verse 18, and I'll reread it once again. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view, and be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all saints. Paul says that we are to pray with all prayer and petition, and he says we're to do it at all times. All times defines the variety of prayer. It defines the variety of prayers. What do I mean? Formal prayers. What's a formal prayer? When when we come together to meet as a church, right, we usually have a pastoral prayer. That's a formal prayer. Paul says we're to pray all prayers. We're to pray formal prayers. We're to pray informal prayers. We're to pray verbal prayers. We're to pray silent prayers with our minds. Prayers of praise and prayers of worship. Prayers of petition and supplication. Prayers for self, prayer for others. Prayers for the church, prayers for revival. Prayers of repentance, prayers of confession. The net sum of all of this is that we are to pray all prayers all prayers. As I had mentioned, prayer is to the believer the very air that we breathe. And prayer is to the spiritual life and vitality what oxygen is to the human being. We cannot live without oxygen. Well, here the believer cannot live without prayer. So many believers are weak and they're defeated And they live weak and defeated lives. Why? Because they do not spend time in prayer with God. Now, I want to set a a standard out there so that you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about prayer. What I'm not talking about is, Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for all the multiple blessings, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for my salvation. Bless this food. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm not talking about that. What I encourage every believer to do is to get alone with God. To go into a prayer closet. To find the place of solitude. To find a place where there's no distraction, where the phone is shut off. Where the TV's not playing. And it's you and God. And you're alone with Him. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus modeled and He taught us time and time again of the necessity of prayer, did He not? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches the disciple to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what was unique about that prayer? What was unique about it wasn't a ritualistic, formalistic prayer. It was what we can say an extemporaneous prayer of Jesus. And as they asked him, teach us to pray, Lord, he says, this is how you pray. But he never once directed us and said, repeat this prayer over and over again. And when it becomes dead words from a dead heart, then it's a dead prayer. In John 17, right before he leaves for Gethsemane, we see our Lord Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer as he prays for his disciples that the Father would watch over them, that the Father would sanctify them in truth, that the Father would send the comforter that was going to come and lead them. In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus goes to Gethsemane to what? To pray on his face. Before the Father. In Matthew 26, 41, Jesus encouraged his disciples. What does he tell them? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer is the fuel of the believer's strength. Yet many claim that they know this, but this is infrequently practiced with regularity and the intensity that it deserves. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 143.1, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication. Answer me in thy faithfulness and in thy righteousness. Likewise, we are called to seek God. And how do we seek him? Prayer becomes the vehicle. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and what? And pray. Then, notice that. Then will I hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins. And I will heal their land. 
All prayer that Paul refers to provides the believer with potency, vibrancy, and and dependency, dependency upon the Lord. Prayer keeps the believer before the throne of God. Prayer keeps the believer humble before God. Prayer keeps the believer dependent upon God rather than independent upon God. The prayer keeps the believer thoughtful of God's presence, desiring God's presence, and our wills focused on God's will. You know, in the book of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan reminds the character Christian, the character was Christian. He reminds him of a powerful weapon. That powerful weapon was prayer. And it was to be used when friends forsake him. It was to be used when enemies came upon him. It was to be used at all times. And in it, he found deliverance. So we see that he tells them, pray all prayers. Look at the next one. Paul says, pray at all prayers and pray at all times in the Spirit. Paul says to pray at all time in the Spirit. You know, the Jews at the time of Christ, they had pre-appointed times for prayer. They would pray in the morning. They would pray at the midday. They would pray in the evening. They would pray before their meals. But here, this formalistic, traditional form of prayer is to change now with the coming of the new covenant and with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The admonition of Paul is to pray at all times and not merely at prescribed times of prayer. This was the case with the early church. Look at some of these things. Jesus spoke in Luke 18, and he told them, hey, a parable, that men should ought to pray at all times and not lose heart. In Acts 1.14, we read, speaking of the early church, this is right before Pentecost, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. Look at Acts. Watch how Acts goes. It starts there in 1.14, Acts chapter 2. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Look at Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with all boldness. Look at that. Look at the birth of the church. How did we go from a birth of a church with such an emphasis on prayer to a place like we are today where the prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in every single church with every single pastor that I speak to. We can rightly conclude that the early church prayed at every chance they could. They did so in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit's power. And when you consider our day today, should we not as believers be praying more? 
in this day of deconstruction and reconstruction, in this day where we have obliterated absolute truth, don't we as the people of God, shouldn't we spend more time on our face before the Lord? I think we do. All prayer, by the way, works along with fervency in prayer. If your heart is right before God, the more one prays, the more fervent one will become. And what we need are men and women that are on fire for Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this statement, which I absolutely love. He says, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. Let me tell you what. Give me a praying saint every time more than a prayerless saint that pretends to know every word of doctrine. And I will go to battle with the one who loves their God and is on their knees and in prayer before their God. And you know me, I don't negate doctrine. This isn't a statement against doctrine. What I'm saying is there are a lot of people who know about God. I want to go to battle with a person who knows God. And they know him because they're in prayer with him. The scripture speaks of those who were giants of prayer. James mentions Elijah as an example of a praying saint. James 5.17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He was a man just like us. That's what James is saying. In verse 16, right before he made that statement in James chapter 5, James says this, confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Availeth much. How effective are our prayers? How impactful are our prayers? Are our prayers only desperate 911 calls to God? Is that what we do? Are our prayers merely, Father, I need this. Father, I want that. Father, I want this. Basically, a a, a consumption of our pleasures and our desires. And God is that magic genie in the air that when we call to him, he's going to give us everything that we want. Does the Holy Spirit fill them? Do we pray with the Spirit's authority? While many can quote Scripture, the man or the woman committed prayer will move mountains, mountains of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And they'll be able for the kingdom of God to be able to speak to others. And you know what people will say? That person walks with God. That person walks with God. Don't you want to be known? Don't you want to be known for whether brother or sister comes over and says, pray for me, and you, you grab that brother, you grab that sister, and you come and you pray for them that the power of God is manifested because you're a man or a woman of faith. We want to be a people of God who not only know our God, but are known by our God. 
in short, praying at all times in the Spirit, is to live in a condition of God consciousness. Let me say that again. Praying at all times in the Spirit is to live in a condition of God consciousness. What is that? God's will, God's purpose, God's ways flood our heart and soul and we live under the umbrella of the will of God. It was the Apostle Paul that told the church at Thessalonica, right? He said, rejoice in the Lord. Pray without ceasing. You say, how can I do that? How can I do that? How do you use your time? You got to commute to work? You jamming on the radio? You can use that time to pray. God hears prayers in an automobile. You're riding on the train, you can use that time to pray. You know, as I always talk about, there's this triad of the Spirit. It begins with the Word of God and the meditation and the contemplation of the Word of God. It proceeds to prayer, and it involves fellowship and service within the body of Christ. And I've said time and time again, it's like a three-legged stool, those three. And eliminate one, and the stool can't stand. It's going to tilt over. Have all three, and you have a balanced Christian experience and a Christian life. Let's look what else at our text. So we see, with all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, with this in view. And he talks about praying with all petition and all perseverance. Petition or supplications, they're your requests that are known to God. Praying rightly involves knowing what to pray for. Praying petitions or supplication involves specific requests. In Luke 18, we meet this widow. And the widow is pestering this judge. Morning, noon, and evening, she's going to that judge and saying, give me protection from my creditors. Give me protection. Why? She was in fear that she was going to be thrown into a debtor's prison. So she goes to the judge. Give me protection. The guy gets there for work. She's outside. Give me protection from my creditors. The guy goes out for lunch. She's there. Give me protection from my creditors. The guy leaves work at the end of the day. Give me protection for creditors. When he pulls his chariot in front of his house, she's there and saying, give me protection from my creditors. And the Bible tells us, Jesus says, this is a wicked judge. It's not a righteous man. And what does the judge say? He said, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but I'm going to give you what you ask me, lest you wear me out. And at the beginning of that parable, Jesus says that we are to pray in this manner and not lose heart. Very specific requests. In Luke 11, we meet that persistent neighbor who all of a sudden gets an unexpected guest late at night. And he goes over to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door and he says, hey man, I just need a few loaves of bread. I just got some company that came unexpectedly 
And the guy inside says, man, go away. I'm already in bed. My kids are asleep. Stop waking us up. And it says that that neighbor keeps banging and banging, saying, no, 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 you got to get up. I need a few loaves of bread to feed this guy. And the guy inside, no, no, I'm not going to. And, and Jesus said, will he get up and give him? He said, he will get up and give him. And then Jesus goes on and he says, you know what? Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it sh- the door shall be opened. And in the Greek text, that's all used in imperatives. In the Greek text, it means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and the door is going to be open to you. Church, if we're not asking God to move by His Spirit, if we're not asking God to do a great work for His namesake, if we have abandoned everything, if the evening news and social media means more to us than the holy living God, then we can expect nothing. But if we believe in a God who is all sovereign, if we believe in a God who tells us to keep asking, to be like that widow. God, move. God, move. Lord, I want you to move. I want you to move. God, save my daughter. Save my son. Save my mom. Lord, use me for the kingdom of God. God says if we keep persisting, if we keep knocking, if we're very specific in our supplications, guess what? God is going to move. Isn't that what you want? We see this illustrated in the life of Daniel the prophet. Notice this and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. I want you to see this. Daniel chapter 9 verse 20. Word of God reads as follows. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, I want you to note something here. First, notice how Daniel prayed. Notice, first, he was speaking and praying. You would think that would be synonymous, right? You would think it would be the both. But there's a distinction here. Prayer is the act of going before God. Speaking is the vehicle that communicates that to God. In other words, he was not just babbling out loud. He wasn't expressing thoughts in a room all by himself. He was in the act of meeting God. He was in the act of prayer. His heart was directed specifically toward God. And this is evident in the following statement. Notice what it says. Daniel, what was he doing? Confessing my sins and the sin of my people, Israel. You mean a prophet like Daniel had sins? Yeah, he did, just like you and I do, right? Notice, 
the second part of the prayer, which came before his supplication, and that was confession. Confession both of his sins and the sins of the nation. Daniel was affected by the sins of the nation Israel and included himself among that. Oh my goodness, what was the sin of the nation Israel at that point? Well, it was very simple. It was unbelief. They had fallen away. And Jeremiah had warned them, you're falling away from the Lord, you're listening to false prophets, and an enemy is going to come and is going to take you captive for 70 years. And exactly what Jeremiah prophesied, by the way, who had zero converts, came true. And now what is happening to Israel? They're they're completely lost. They're, They're lost in captivity. And Daniel himself, although he is becoming successful in that government, is himself affected by the sins of the nation. I submit to you, church, our nation is a nation that is in an apostasy, is in, in a great apostasy, is occurring in the church. There is this great falling away from biblical truth, and each one of us are affected by that, and we need to be praying for our sins, and our supplications need to be for us and for our nation and the church in this nation. When you think about our nation is responsible for heinous sins, heinous sins, everything from the murder of the unborn to sexual immorality, impurity, dishonesty, violence across the land. And likewise, we must pray for the repentance of the church, should we not as well? Once we have done that, let us bring our petitions to the Lord. And when approaching the Lord with our request, always remember this. We must pray everything according to God's will. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many times we think we know what we want and we think we know what's best for us and don't ever get into the habit of telling God exactly how to do his business. You can make your request known unto the Lord. You could say, Father, I, you know, I'm asking you for this. I'm asking you for the other thing, but everything according to thy will. Back to our text in Ephesians 6.18. We've seen Paul say, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view... Be on the alert with all perseverance. We're not going to let go. We're going to be like that importunate widow of Luke 18 and petition for all the saints. We're to pray for all the saints. We're to pray for the remnant church of God. Listen, a church comprised of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all cultures of believers in Jesus Christ. That is the church. The believers in Jesus Christ. And praying for all saints begins. It begins 
within our local body of believers and goes out from there. We are not to be overly consumed with our self-oriented, me-centric prayers. You know, on Wednesday night, we have our prayer meeting. And you've heard this, and those that participate, you know this is true. We practice a simple rule of thumb. We forgo when we come together as a church to pray, we forgo praying for our individual needs. Why? Because we believe that God has appointed a personal prayer life for you. And you're praying for those things, and you're asking for those things. So when we come together to pray as a church, we come together to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord, to thank the Lord, to give testimony to the Lord. And we do pray that God would send revival among us, that God would send revival to us. We pray that God would send revival through us and that God would revive the remnant church across the world. And as believers, as believers, when we come to pray corporately, we should be concerned with God's glory. We should pray for God's glory. To see the glory of God return to his church. We should pray for the repentance of the church, for the repentance of our city, for the repentance of our nation, for brothers and sisters across the globe. We have to pray for those that are suffering persecution for the testimony of Jesus Christ, afflictions for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We are to pray for those that are languishing in prisons because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, of those who have been beaten, of those who have lost loved ones because of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would send a bountiful harvest of souls once again and that Millions and millions would turn to Christ as Lord and Savior. Pray for revival. We pray for revival. Pray for revival. And praying for revival doesn't mean you pray it two or three times, you become disheartened. But we pray for revival. What is revival? It is a genuine, spontaneous, authentic move of God. We can't say that there's going to be a revival Tuesday night at 7.30. The Spirit of God makes that determination. But we pray for revival that our God who had sent revivals in ages past, in some of the darkest times of the church's history, that that God would do it again. That that God would rend the heaven, descend, and come down as the prophet Isaiah talks about. And our motivations should be God's motivations. And that the Lord will be glorified. So how does this apply to us? What's the application? This one verse, Ephesians 6.18, packs a powerful, powerful appeal to the believer to pray Pray and pray. And I pray, no pun intended, that you picked up on the importance of prayer. 
I like to use the term a lot of times. I use this term called guttural prayer. What do I mean? It doesn't come from the gutter, but it bursts forth out of your gut. That you would pray with an intensity, with a, a transparency. Please don't cheapen prayer. Please don't just utter routines. Let every prayer, whether you're praying for your breakfast, whether you're praying for your children, let everyone be birthed from deep down inside of you as you seek and as you appeal for God to move in your life. We need to be a praying people. We need to be a praying people. And praying brings us into God's presence where we glimpse the glory of Christ. Listen, Puritan John Owen, I've been reading this book this week, and he's wrote a book called The Glory of Christ. And I've been meditating on the glory of Christ. Listen to what John Owen says. No man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight hereafter, who does not in some measure behold it by faith here in this world. Like, let, me, let me break that down into more common English. No one who doesn't desire the glory of Christ who doesn't pursue the glory of Christ. John Owen says, you're never going to see the glory of Christ in heaven if you don't get a glimpse of the glory of Christ here on earth. What does that mean? How does one behold the glory of Christ? How does one pursue the Father and experience his presence? It is through prayer. How does one share in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters across the world? It is through prayer. How can one approach the throne of God? It is through prayer. And church, if I can offer any word of encouragement, any word of consolation, any application, it is this. Pray. At all times. And let your prayer be worship unto the Lord. I'll close with this quote. John Bunyan, the man who wrote A Pilgrim's Progress, wrote this in another writing. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Church, let us pray on. Bow your head with me in a word of prayer.